Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. I'm joined by Linda Gasparello, our co-host, and today we're going to talk about political conventions, one in particular, but first, I'm wondering if next year we're not going to see a throwback to conventions where they're undecided, where there are floor fights, where there's trading, where there are late meetings, all of that, which was once part of the political convention. And to talk about the great political venture, which was the Republican Convention of 1860, we have Ed Acorn, who is an expert on Lincoln. He wrote a wonderful book called Every Drop of Blood, uh, based on a major document, which was Lincoln's second uh, inaugural address. And uh, his new book is all about the convention which made Lincoln a candidate and in due course, one of the great, if not the greatest American president. It is the Lincoln miracle inside the Republican convention that changed history. There it is. It's a cornucopia of detail about the comings and goings, uh, the skullduggery, the backhandedness, oh, all of the total, beauty of democracy or the ugly side of democracy. Ed, welcome to the broadcast. Congratulations on another amazing piece of scholarship and a fine piece of writing. Uh, what draws you to Lincoln and what has brought you back to do all that scholarship to do a second Lincoln book? Yeah, well, my approach to Lincoln is uh, something that's called like micro history. So the first book, I spent 24 hours in Lincoln's life around the second inauguration, which I think is the greatest speech any president ever delivered. Um, so poignant and powerful. And in this new book, I do uh, basically uh, a week in Chicago, which is when uh, Lincoln came out of nowhere to be the nominee for president of the United States. And it's, uh, I think it's just a wonderful story. It's, it says something about what a miracle this country is that uh, somebody like that could be nominated from out of nowhere and save the country. And the delegates didn't even know how great Lincoln was when they did it. Um, Lincoln was not without ambition. I mean, he was, he, tend, he was at the convention, he had supporters, he had people who had gone to Chicago the very purpose of supporting him and securing the nomination. It was just highly unlikely that he was going to get it. He very much wanted to uh, be a senator, especially. And he, he sort of was get through his hat in the ring, I think, for the presidency as a way to, to position himself for the Senate, uh, a Senate run later on. And everything just fell into place uh, miraculously. I mean, Lincoln was, he had not been in office for more than 10 years. He had suffered repeated defeats. Uh, he was poorly educated in terms of formal education. He was kind of quaint. He told dirty jokes. Uh, he was not somebody you would think you would turn to uh, to lead this country in its greatest crisis. So, uh, that's part of the miracle. It's, it's very strange how everything fell into place perfectly for him. And I write in the book, actually, uh, the, uh, the convention starts on a Wednesday and on Thursday, it looks like 
William Seward, who's the, the superstar of the Republican Party, and he's a New York senator and a former governor, and he's just, uh, uh, just he's considered the father of the party, and he's got all the money behind him. And on that Thursday, the second day of the convention, it looked very much like he would be nominated, but then they didn't have enough tally sheets in the hall. Uh, I don't know if you recall this part. It's so so the, the delegates were all hungry, so they decided to uh, adjourn for the day and go home. And if they had enough tally sheets, it probably would have been Seward, not Lincoln. And the, who knows if the country would have survived the Civil War. Set the scene for the convention. The Democrats had had a disastrous convention in South Carolina. There was a dissolution of the Whig Party. The Republican Party was really a new party, and it was mostly northern states. And in Chicago, there wasn't even a convention hall. They had to build one, uh, which they called the Whig one. Uh, and it turned out it actually wasn't a bad place. I mean, the, the acoustics were great. You know, there was uh, enough light and air. Going into this convention, the, the Democrats had split apart between North and South. They just couldn't reconcile on the issue of slavery. And the Northern Democrats thought, we're going to get killed in the elections if we go with this totally pro-Southern approach. So it looked very much like the Republicans would be nominating the next president of the United States. And that made it a very exciting and important convention. They met in Chicago, as you say. Uh, they they actually, the, the National Party chose Chicago uh, in a sense because there was no serious candidate from Illinois, they thought. They didn't think Lincoln was serious. So they wanted to pick a place where uh, none of the major uh, candidates were from New York or Ohio or uh, uh, Missouri, so forth. So uh, they went with Chicago. And they, as you said, they built the Chicago Republicans were all gung-ho and they wanted to advertise what an up-and-coming up city Chicago was. So they built this giant wooden hall, uh, which held like 11,000 people. That's more than any other building in America. And, uh, but it was, as Bruce Catton said, it was probably the biggest fire trap ever built in American history because you had uh, unfinished wood, you had uh, evergreens put up by the ladies of Chicago and all sorts of bunting and gaslight. I mean, you can imagine what a disaster <laughs> might have happened there. And uh, the delegates went in there not exactly sure who they were gonna pick. I mean, Seward was the front runner far and away, but uh, there's a lot of uh, support for this guy named Edward Bates from Missouri, and he was uh, considered very conservative. Uh, he would appeal to the border states, and uh, and so he was considered some, and, and Horace Greeley, the most uh, powerful and influential editor in America, was backing him. So there were all these different uh, factors playing into it. And uh, going in, Lincoln was considered, well, he might be a vice presidential nominee because he's from an important swing state. But uh, they didn't, uh, Lincoln was by no means one of the favorites going in here. And talk and, a little bit about why Horace Greeley backed Bates, because that is a really interesting story. It's the story of the many hatreds. <laughs> Can I just interrupt before you answer that? I yes. think we should 
let our viewers and listeners know that the great issue was slavery. Yes. And it dominated the convention. It was what the, really the, the mission of the Republican Party at that time was yes. take a stand against slavery. I just want to that. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, Llewellyn, because that's the overarching picture. Now, the question was, how much did the party want to thump on that issue? Uh, Seward was uh, considered the, the most eloquent and uh, pretty much liberal spokesman of anti-slavery politics in the country. And after the John Brown raid, which was John Brown, a famous crazy abolitionist, uh, took over a, a uh, took over a weaponry in uh, in Virginia and was going to arm slaves for an uprising, and this created great anxiety in the country. So the Republicans were there. Well, I don't know if we want to go with Seward because he's too closely linked with the radical side of the Republican Party. The, the thing you, you discover researching all this is these delegates were professional politicians. They were most concerned with getting jobs, get, getting people elected to uh, legislatures, uh, sheriff's offices. They could, very down on the list was who would lead the country best in, the, in a terrible crisis facing the country. They just, they wanted to get the most votes they could get and not risk losing the election. And eventually that came out to Lincoln being the best uh, uh, candidate of all of them, but it was a very near thing. Um, Seward well, was very back, strong. And back to the hatreds. Yes. The hatreds were one of the things that led Lincoln to be, elect, to be elected. Um, he, was, he was the best of, of, of the group. They, they moved toward him. Um, because they just couldn't support Seward. Um, Lincoln was considered less threatening than Seward, although Lincoln, if you looked at his speeches, he was just as passionate uh, an opponent of slavery as Seward, but he was less well-known, so the politician figured, oh, well, people won't be as scared of him as Seward. I mean, it's, these are the decisions that went into this, and uh, you're right about the hatreds. The, the whole country was torn apart politically, and the North was very fed up with the South, I think, by this time. The South had been uh, panicked about losing uh, power in, in Congress and losing the presidency, and they increasingly were belligerent. I mean, there was one uh, congressman who clubbed Senator uh, Sumner nearly to death at his desk uh, because of comments he made uh, opposing slavery. And uh, this was the, the climate. And the people in the North were just fed up with the South. They were fed up with the Democratic Party constantly uh, placating slavery. And uh, this, was, this was the setting for a lot of this uh, activity. And, and one question about, about slavery. There were no African-Americans at the Republican convention nor were there any at, at any of the, at the Democratic Convention. There may and, have been a few in the audience, but there were no Black delegates. And right. nobody really discussed uh, the Black plight too much. I mean, it was slavery. It was freedom. It was 
so the, these were very much uh, white political professionals uh, acting in behalf of trying to turn around um, slavery and send a signal that slavery is morally wrong. And, and that was the whole Republican message. Um, let's go back to Linda's earlier question about Horace Greeley. <laughs> oh, yes, Horace Greeley. I, I just want to interject that I've read a lot of stuff that Greeley wrote because of my interest in American journalism. And some of the things he said today would be regarded as hugely racist, although he was opposed <laughs> yes. to slavery. But some of the things he said were really quite, uh, in today's world, would be considered absolutely racist, although he was uh, opposed to slavery and very influential, maybe in his way, the most influential journalist of his time, or many times. We don't have single journalists anymore that can move the country or parts of the country. Yes, I, I think you're right. He was, uh, he, he did say some very racist things, but he was very much on the left-wing side of the the uh, spectrum. He he actually hired Karl Marx to do uh, reporting from Europe for, for the paper. So, uh, but he he wanted to, like most of these editors of the time, he wanted to use his power to get into politics and have real power. So he kept uh, Seward was managed by this guy named Thurlow Weed, who was an editor and was a wonderful uh, political strategist. And uh, he worked together with Greeley for years. I mean, the three of them were called the triumvirate, but uh, eventually Weed and Seward would not give uh, Greeley the, the political job he wanted. He wanted to be either governor or lieutenant governor and they froze him out. They thought he was too flaky to, to uh, hold these positions, they'd lose votes. So they froze him out and he was angry about it. And he went to the convention and backed this, this other candidate, uh, Bates against uh, Seward. And that had a lot of influence because the New York, I mean, people all over, Republicans all over the country said, oh, this guy's from New York and he's, he's uh, pointing out that Seward's dangerous and we can't go with him. And that had a huge influence. That was one of the things that created the Lincoln miracle. Um, I, I want to uh, find out what happened after the convention. Did the Republicans think they had committed suicide with this gangly, gangly rather <laughs> unattractive-looking man who seemed to have no social graces and bored people with long, dirty stories? Did they think, what have we done? This is the end. Uh, was that a reaction after the convention? Well, the, the day after the convention, the party leaders went down to Springfield to actually meet the man they had uh, nominated. And I think he made a pretty good impression on them, as he did on everyone. People, people thought, well, he's crude. There's something strange about him, but, he's so, but he's, he seems honorable, noble, decent. And people really got that vibe from him. And of course, he was very successful in the election. Now, they didn't campaign the way they do now. They, Lincoln effectively shut down, didn't have any comment about any of the crises facing America. He said, you can look at my speeches if you want to see my positions. And uh, that was it. He didn't campaign. He sat in, sat in his house uh, in Springfield and, and, uh, and downtown in the, in the uh, 
I think he was just in one of the offices downtown and that was his campaign. And people went around the country speaking in his behalf. So that's that's how it worked back then. You made another point, Ted, and that is, of course, the candidates did not appear at the convention. He said he's too much of a candidate to go, but not enough to stay home. So it, he was torn about it, but he eventually stayed home. And he had people in his behalf uh, running this thing. But, but of course, the Lincoln campaign was so poorly organized, they got to, uh, David Davis, his manager, got to Chicago and he realized nobody had even booked their headquarters. So, and this was in comparison to Seward who was bringing in thousands of people uh, out West. He did do something though that politicians have done very successfully and still do, and that's to cultivate local political entities. He was what, uh, a year and a half on the road making speeches on behalf of candidates for Congress and uh, local office, so that he had people who sort of owed him. You're right. He did. He did make a. a few he did make a few moves out of uh illinois leading up to the um to the convention uh, but the basis of his strength was he, he was a lawyer in uh, illinois and he spent six months of the year on the road uh partly because he i think he had a terrible marriage at home <laughs> so he he would uh he spent six months of the year on the road going from small courthouse to small courthouse in central illinois and making lots of friends and that kind of loyalty sustained him in the convention and he had i think he had greater loyalty and support from his state than any other candidate and that made all the difference and talk about the youth participation at the convention that was particularly interesting yeah, these uh, young people were turning to the Republicans at that time. They they felt here's a party that supports freedom. Uh, it's they want to change this world. They want to move us in a better direction. And a particularly strong movement formed was uh, the Wide Awake movement, which was uh, these young men dressed up in sort of semi-military uniforms, and they marched with with torches in military precision. And this became a just a symbol of the Republican Party all through the campaign. They marched from city to city. And this 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 had only been about a month old when uh, they were uh, set up in Chicago and greeted all the delegates and so forth. So that was, uh, they were very interested in the party. I think it's very interesting um, that Lincoln after the convention um, decided that he would bring in to his cabinet all of the candidates. Uh, it was Seward came into the into his cabinet. He didn't really want Seward to get very far away with him because you need to sort of hold your hold the candidates close there. But he did bring them all in, and I think that that that's characteristic, it seems, of Lincoln. Malice yes. toward none. Um, you know, this generosity that he had toward his enemies, his political enemies, his rivals, whatever. But how did the convention shape what he became as president? He must have learned an awful lot from having gone through that terrible convention. <laughs> well, I, I, I think you're right. Lincoln was very sagacious. He, he wanted to bring 
he realized all the divisions in the party and he realized he needed to bring all the segments of the party together uh, to, to have a successful administration. This was a new party. They'd never had power in Washington. And he cared very deeply about patronage and putting the right people in these positions, rewarding people who would work hard for the party and, and so forth. So as you say, it was the famous team of rivals. He brought in Seward as a secretary of state and Seward snubbed him during the uh, election. <laughs> but Lincoln just overlooked these snubs and wanted to have the strongest cabinet possible. He brought in Chase, Sam and Peach, uh, Chase, who was, who was a, uh, uh, an Ohio politician who thought he deserved the nomination and didn't get it. He brought in Bates, the guy who was uh, backed by Greeley and, the, and so forth. And so he, he tried to bring in a cabinet that spanned the whole party. And he had the strength of will. He understood himself. He understood he had the strength of character and the strength of will to to uh, keep these egomaniacs in check as president. And that's quite something. There was a, a, a passage in the book where he had even used Seward's language in a conciliatory way. And I think that that was tipping his hat uh, to Seward, some of Seward's ideas. The beautiful ending of Lincoln's first inaugural was something that Seward suggested, and Seward actually wrote wrote the ending of the, the which is about um, it, it speaks about the better angels of our nature and so forth, and the patriots' hearths and all that stuff. Why can't we remember who we are as Americans come together? And Lincoln's spe initial speech was pretty belligerent and Seward thought that would be a good ending on it and Lincoln followed his advice and you're right Lincoln but Lincoln was a very tough guy he he determined when he got in there in Washington he went very much with his own judgment and he stood up to these experts and he plunged the country into this terrible war because he felt that's the only way we could save the country and, and take uh, us something. into take us into the convention. We're inside the wigwam. <laughs> There's bands, bunting, flowers, uh, caucuses going on, and there's no amplification. How did people hear what was going on? Were there shouters? As as you know, there was one time there were people called shouters who listened to speeches and shouted them out louder. And uh, I wonder whether that was a feature of that. Uh, that yeah, you can imagine a, a hall seating 11,000 people, and uh, but they designed it in a way that a loudspeaker could be heard in any part of the hall. And uh, but but it's it's interesting. Seward uh, and Weed, his his manager, were very careful to fill the hall with um, their supporters because they thought that would create a certain psychological momentum that would be uh, just irresistible when all these people were cheering for Seward wildly. And, uh, and so Seward and Seward's people went around marching uh, in the streets in huge numbers. And what Lincoln's people figured out to do was print up counterfeit tickets, apparently. And uh, <laughs> while the Seward people were out marching, he, they filled the, the hall, the wigwam with their own supporters. 
So the sewer people showed up, we have tickets, you know, sorry, it's full. And uh, that, that helped Lincoln on the final day. So we, you know, Lincoln is uh, considered the great noble leader, but I mean, he was helped by uh, counterfeiting probably. And also uh, his, his supporters, especially David Davis, his manager traded offices for support, uh, posts on the cabinet for support from different delegations. May I and, say that this sounds like dirty tricks? <laughs> well, this it's was probably, you know, this is politics then and now. Yeah. Uh, what other dirty tricks uh, were going on there? Well, they, they, you know, trading offices for for support. I mean, this goes on to this day, but it was considered kind of uh, shabby back then, and you you tried to keep it secret. And Lincoln actually Thursday he sent a message to his supporters saying, you know, make no deals in my name. And David Davis took a look at that message and put it in his pocket and said, Lincoln ain't here. And he doesn't know, <laughs> he doesn't know what we're up against. So, he, you know, so they made deals. And uh, that's, that's essentially how Lincoln won. You know, I mentioned earlier that Seward was all ready to be nominated and they didn't have the tally sheets ready. Right. So they all went home to have uh, dinner and then come back the next day. Well, overnight, Lincoln made Lincoln's supporters made all those deals, and uh, including with some pretty shady characters. And uh, that's how, that's how he won. And um, you now lived with Lincoln <laughs> for what ten years? Probably. Well, I mean, I've been reading about him my whole life, and but writing books probably for. Yeah, six well, to I ten years. I'm just look, looking, turning to the back of this 440-page book or something. There, just the the bibliography is so huge. You have yeah. been reading and amassed. Did you did your view of of Lincoln change? Did it evolve? Did you like him better after all of this research, or yeah. did you have a sense of weaknesses not previously known to you? Well, as, as a journalist and as a historian, I always try to, you know, drown myself in the other side of the picture and try to understand what critics of Lincoln then and now were saying. But the more I study Lincoln, the more I admire him. I mean, he had, he had guts, he had integrity, he was a beautiful writer, he had compassion. I mean, and he... I, above and beyond any of these politicians I've, st I've studied over the years. So I come out of this, it's really, I feel like it's a privilege to spend all this time with Lincoln because you get, you're with somebody of such great character and talent. It's just a wonderful thing. So and you give us an out, yeah. It's a privilege to spend time with you. And oh, thank, thank you. you so much for coming on White House Chronicle to talk about your book, The Lincoln Miracle, Inside the Republican Conventions That Changed History. I hope it does very well in sales as it richly deserves to do. Cheers and thank you. Thank you so much, both of you. That's our show for today. We shall be back next week. Until then, be proud of Lincoln and of being an American. Cheers. We are now available as a podcast. Search for White House Chronicle in Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite audio platform and subscribe. 
to never miss our weekly shows.